Hello! Welcome to Free Will Science and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs and I'm here with David Joseph and George Ortega. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about levels of choice. Because I've made this mistake, um, and even though it's not technically up to me, obviously, <laughs> um, that I've made this mistake in the past where I'll tell people, you know, choice is an illusion. We don't really make choices. And for them, um, that makes no sense because they think, of course we make choices. We make choices all the time. I chose to eat a banana for breakfast or whatever it is they, they point to as an example. But here's the deal. There's different meanings of the word choice, just as there's different meanings of the word God, just as there's different meanings of the word randomness. There's di People have different meanings of the same word. And so while for me it's true that choice is an illusion, because choice always was something that you could be fundamentally blame or credit worthy for. But what I want to do in this episode is I want to explain how, sure, you can say in one sense that somebody um, makes choices all the time, that they do that which they want to do, but here's the deal. People claim that those choices they make are up to them and that they're not up to prior causes or randomness, that they are truly something that they could have of their own accord done otherwise. So basically, you could say that you made a choice, but it wasn't up to you that choice. You had no choice over that choice. And it simply goes to that your choice that you make has to be based off of some type of preference, some sort of desire that you have in order for you to claim it was you that made the choice. But then that preference or desire had to be something that you chose. And that would be, have to be based on another desire, which would have to be based on another desire. So you have this infinite regress of prior choices that you would have had to make before you existed in order to claim credit or blameworthiness for that choice. Am I making sense so far to you guys? Yeah. Another way to explain it is that um, because we don't have a free will, we don't have any more free will than a computer, you know, we, we, um, we wouldn't say, for example, that a computer makes choices. A computer, everything it does, um, it's been programmed to do. So it's like manifesting the, the will or quote-unquote choices of the programmer, and we're no different from a computer. You know, so like, so like it appears, you know, and in a, in a certain sense, we can develop, um, you know, a kind of like a computer program and ask it to choose between whatever, right? And it goes through the, the, the motions, whatever kind of, you know, calculations it does. And it appears to be making a choice, but we know that, 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 that it's just an appearance. There's no, no actual choice is being made. And again, that applies to us. We, we might refer to, to, to ourselves as making a choice between, let's say, having cereal or fruit for breakfast or something. But that's just a matter of speech. What, what, what Chandler is addressing more is um, the idea that, you know, fundamentally what we're doing just really isn't a choice at all. Yes, that, that sums it up pretty nicely because... Like, the computer example is great because I think we should compare people to computers rather than puppets 
because when people think of a puppet, they think of something that doesn't do anything unless a puppeteer is it has their hand in it or whatever. Whereas um, with a computer, it can do things on its own, but those things were programmed and it was the hardware and software was built into the computer. And so in a particular situation, when you're playing a computer chess program, some people say, oh, well, this computer chose to move the bishop to this square, but you know that it had to make that choice. There was no other way because it was programmed to make that choice with that setup of the board because that was the way for it to win. It's programmed to win. Exactly. So, David, what are your thoughts? Um, I think that in the past I've used the distinction between a free choice without influence and choice as in choice being influenced. So um, if we go back to um, having free choice, then that means that you can't have any prior causes or prior events influencing your choice. And we know that, as, well, as far as I know, that doesn't exist. And so lately I've been going to the idea of there is no choice at all and it's just all behaviours stemming from prior influences and things beyond our control. So that's where I am at the moment. And it's kind of like Sam Harris says, we don't choose to choose what we choose, I think is the, is the thing that he says. Yeah, exactly. See, here's the case. Like, for example, Trick Slattery uses the choice versus free choice distinction. And what's interesting about it is that there are, there are um, two types of proposed um, forms of choices. One is causal choice, which we all have, that stems directly from prior causes and is theoretically predictable but we can't know enough to always predict everything. The other thing that people propose, which I don't personally believe in, is the random choice, you know, the a-causal choice, this, that somebody chooses something for no reason whatsoever. But neither one of those are the same as the type of free choice um, that people mean, which is pretty much synonymous with libertarian free will, because they are saying, well, it's not random and it's not because of prior causes, but it's because of me that somehow I broke all the laws of physics. I broke the laws of the universe <laughs> and made a choice that had nothing to do with prior causes and it's not random, but they can't break out of that dichotomy. <laughs> and David, I think your point is, is very well made um, that, you know, sometimes we might want to present the distinction between a choice and a free choice for people at a certain level of understanding in this. You know, if it's a newbie who really, you know, isn't familiar with, with, with the topic that much, you know, we might say, yeah, we make choices all the time, but they're not free of factors that are not in our control. So, that, you know, again, that's, that's one way to explain it. Yeah, in, in my experience, it's better to start off saying that we do make choices but they're just not free choices. People seem to to be more open to understanding that than being told they don't make any choices at all. Yeah, absolutely. People seem to understand that message better. And so even though when I'm thinking about it in my head, I think, well, yeah, there's no such thing as real choice because for me, it has to be a free choice before it can be really considered a choice. 
But because I've learned recently that people have different meanings of, of the word uh, choice, just like they do with God, for example, what I do is I try to ask people more how they're defining something and then see, oh, well, their definition of this word differs greatly from what um, I'm meaning by it. And I think this is the problem that between compatibilists and incompatibilists on the free will question. Because, you know, I think the um, some of the compatibilists, they're simply understanding, they, they're saying, well, we do make choices, whereas the incompatibilists are saying we don't. But in reality, it's kind of a paradox because we do make choices, but we don't choose which we choose. <laughs> It's funny in, in my um, Manhattan meetup, you know, this we talk about this a lot. And um, and if I start presenting this distinction between a choice and a free choice and they still don't get it, a lot of times that's when I'll say, well, actually, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we really don't make any choices at all. You know, so like, you know, we just have to come come up with the right approach um, for the different kinds of personalities, I guess there are out there. There are different reasons uh, why people find what we're trying to explain difficult to, to, to understand or accept. So, so it really does call for, for different approaches uh, with each person. Well, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. For example, um, like, you know, people don't necessarily all go vegan for the same reason. For example, I just I just like to use that example. For some of them, it's health. Some of them, it's you know to to because of climate change and the connection with the methane and all that. Some people, it's about they don't want to support cruelty to animals. So in the end, we can get people to understand that free will is an illusion in the same way. But we may have to go at different approaches with different people because each of them need a sort of different dialect of the same language even to understand it. Yeah, it was like you were saying earlier as well. Some people do equate choice to the idea of free will. So as long as they have a choice, whether that be what we would call a free choice or an influenced choice, they would still say that simply having that choice is a type of free will. And uh, I've been finding this out fairly recently, actually. It gets quite confusing. Yeah, and, and it's kind of tricky because choice is such a loaded word, and words such as choice and freedom get really all mixed up. And, uh, and another example that might help clarify is freedom of speech. Um, like somebody can say that they politically in their country have freedom of speech, meaning that they can say what they want without being killed or sent to jail. And that's what freedom of speech, I'm pretty sure it means. Um, but we don't have freedom of speech to just like start speaking Japanese if we haven't learned Japanese. You know, what we speak is going to flow from what we're thinking, which is, which is based on the language that we we've grown up around or what we've learned later in life if we had to move to a new area and learn a new language. And so, like, think about it. How could somebody um, speak something um, and claim it was up to them? How could, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, for example, none of us can claim copyright over 
of, of our stuff in the true sense because all the words that we use uh, if we write a book or, or speak a speech will be English words and we didn't invent the English language. Right. And we technically didn't come up with our own ideas either. We were influenced by the environment. So. Yeah. And, and I think what, what's helpful about it is that we, I mean, we understand that when, when people differ with us over politics or religion, which are kind of the two different taboos, you know, in America, people know, don't talk about religion and don't talk politics unless you're, you're ready for people to, you know, say all sorts of mean things about you and even possibly violence, you know, if they find out you disagree with them. And that comes from a simple misunderstanding about our psychology that these people were raised differently than you. They had different parents, probably a different area where they lived. They had different experiences and they have different genetics. So those, that person could not have agreed with you, even if they wanted to. And if they did want to, that whether or not they want to agree with you is not up to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, like, you know, a lot of people are religious and they talk about religious freedom, freedom to like, you know, to, you know, be the religion they want or not be any religion at all, whatever. And so, yeah, we make the distinction. All right. That's kind of like, you know, it's a political um, freedom. You know, the our country grants you the political legal right to to be one religion or no religion or another. But that doesn't mean that you have freedom of will to choose what religion or whatever you, you, you're going to practice or believe in. So I, I think, yeah, I think it helps to, um, to when explaining this, to just bring in these examples of the mis, misuses of, of, of the word, of, of the term free will. So like when, the, when they see them side by side, maybe it makes it more clear. Also, um, like the, the way I try to describe it is you don't really choose to get out of bed. You don't choose to get dressed. You don't choose to eat. You don't choose to drink. It's all it's all behavior to me. And that is something that you're influenced to do. And it has prior causes. And so that there is no choice in there, ultimately, in my opinion. Yeah, and actually, I, I, um, there's, a, there's a theological question like... Um, we kind of like if we if we posit, for example, that that God or the universe, whatever, whatever is controlling is, is omnipotent, all powerful, then it's pretty easy to see from there that we don't have a free will. But sometimes, you know, people will posit, well, if God is omniscient, you know, um, is there that that means that there's no free will. I and and some people say, well, no, actually, God could know, you know, what we're um, going to choose or not yet yet we still have a free will but but I think if, if if you know in other words like if if it was known and this, we don't even have to bring God into this you know to explain it if it was known for sure that um, that we were going to eat a certain food on a certain day next week we would we would do that. We would not have a choice of whether to do that or not, because like we're just defining the criteria for this condition. It's already known, you know, so like so um, that's yet another way of, of explaining that, like, you know, if, if what's 
if our choices are set in stone, you know, if if they um, if we we may not know what we're going to choose, quote unquote, choose until we choose it. But after we chose it, you know, um, we know what we chose. If if our choices are all set in stone and determined, you know, there's absolutely no way they can be a choice. They, you know, a choice implies that that it could have been otherwise. It could have been a, di- a different way. So like. Just the fact that there's only one causal chain behind everything means that there can be no choices. That actually reminds me of a, um, a program that I watched a few years back. It was on something called um, prediction programming. And this is something that supermarkets use to decide when they're going to, say, buy a load of ice cream to sell. And what they've discovered is when the temperature goes up a certain amount, people will buy more ice cream and more barbecue foods. And so they order these um, like weeks in advance. So shoppers have access to these goods. And if there was free will, I would, um, I would say it wouldn't be as good as it is because they, they pretty much get it spot on. And it's, it's even different throughout the country. So in the south of the UK, when the weather gets to about... 20 degrees, people will go out and they'll buy ice cream. But in the north, when it gets to about 16 degrees, people will go out and buy ice cream. And the supermarkets predict this weeks in advance based on weather patterns. So if, if there's any free will there, I think um, I think it's demonstrated that you know it doesn't exist, basically. Well, yeah, and it, especially if we use grocery store examples, because everyone knows I work at, at Hy-Vee, you know, Customers tell me, you know, like, well, I didn't, I didn't plan on buying this much stuff, and 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 I said, well, you, you, when you you see you come in here and you see all this stuff that you didn't know you wanted until you saw it, right? And they said, yeah, you know, like, pe- people come in and that's the way it works, you know, people are, are caused to do things by the way the world is set up and what they're exposed to. So it, it's actually very, very predictable. The only reason that um, you know marketers are so successful who are trying to sell something is because they know enough about human psychology to understand how to get people to buy something, which is a scary thought for people, realizing that the, <laughs> they can be caused to buy almost anything if there's somebody who's, who's smart enough to trick them into it. <laughs> Right, right. And, and the fact is that if you ask them, they'll, they'll say that they felt like they made a choice to buy this product. When, when we can match graphs of predictions with um, sales, and they match almost perfectly. So, uh, you know, if someone's predicting their choices two weeks ahead, then I don't see how that can be a free choice. Exactly. And, and just the fact that we can predict human behavior with any degree of accuracy, you know, just, um, just counters the, the notion of free will. Because, you know, if we had a free will, you know, we would be able to act according to any kind of, like, expectation or, or past pattern or, or, you know, dictate. If, if, if I can play devil's advocate just quickly, um, one of the responses I get quite a lot be that someone will say, well, what happens when I want to do something, but I don't do it? Isn't that me making a choice not to do something? 
Yeah. Um, my, my answer to that is like, you know, our, our minds are, are comprised of different drives, different motivations. We have the, the drive to do what we believe is right. We have the, the drive to do what we believe is going to bring us most pleasure. We have the drive to believe, you know, just the, and these, these drives compete. And so like, so, so, you know, in the case of wanting to do something and deciding not to, you know, what's really happening is these, these two, these drives are competing against each other and the strongest one um, of them is, is going to win out. You know, I mean, that's just, it's another way of, of explaining why we don't have a free will, but, but I guess that the fact um, is that like, we're just not, we, we won't know whether we will actually do what we want, wanted to do or refrain from doing it until, until we do, you know, um, in, in some like, for example, um, if, if we want to go to the, to the gym someday or, you know, to work out or whatever, we have a plan. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. There's just like, we can just never know until, until the point. Um, David, does that, does that answer it well enough or? Um, yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, you got me thinking about sometimes when I wake up for work and I'm kind of borderline on time. And sometimes I'll say, well, you know, I feel too tired today, so I'm going to be an hour late, basically. And I accept that I'm going to be an hour late, and so I'm an hour late. But other times I'll wake up and I'll be an hour early. So I don't really know how that's going to work out until I actually wake up and start to, you know, experience how I'm feeling, basically. Yeah, exactly. it's sort of a case of who will win, like Mitch mentioned in a re- in a previous podcast, like where you have these competing desires. Am I going to wake up or am I going to stay in bed? Which of them will win, you know, because you what it amounts to is there are these competing desires. And so if one desire um, you act on that, then there's another desire that you haven't act on, acted on. So either way, you both did something, you did what you wanted to do, but you didn't do what you wanted to do because you wanted to do two completely impossible things that were incompatible. Yeah, and then, the, the, you know, the bizarre uh, part, well, one bizarre part of, of all this is like we're talking about like, you know, wanting to do certain things and that another part of us wanting to do something else at all. You know, what we also have to realize is fundamentally these wants and desires are taking are all taking place at the level of our unconscious. You know, it's, you know, sometimes our unconscious will make us aware of what it's working on and what it's, you know, quote unquote, deciding and what, what the, the motivations are. But very often it doesn't. There's there are so many psychology experiments where a person believes they're doing whatever they're doing, you know, because of some reason. They'll actually make up a reason to the researchers to explain it. Where the the um, the reality is that like the researcher has primed them to behave in a certain way, and they have absolutely no idea that the priming has taken place. So like you know, you know the this the, this whole process is actually taking place in our unconscious. Yeah, I mean, and here's one of the limitations is that whenever we describe why we did something in the past, we cannot be sure whether the reason that we're describing is the actual reason or if it's a reason that we that we um, 
kind of made up after the fact to explain it, which of course it's still based on how we're feeling at that time. And we're, but we're theorizing or making a hypothesis at best about why we did what we did. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I say that once in a while myself, but I guess sometimes, um, sometimes it can be pretty clear. For example, if, if we're thirsty, you know, we, we, we might say to ourselves, well, I drank water because, because I was thirsty. Or if, you know, if you're, we're seated and we stand up, well, I, you know, I stood up because I wanted to stand up. And I think some, some, some things seem to be kind of like our unconscious is actually making us aware of, of, of the reason why we do things. But again, that, 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 does, that in no way applies across the board to so many kinds of things that we do that are so you know, complicated and, and below our level of, level of awareness. Well, yeah, some things are real simple. We eat because we're hungry, we drink because we're thirsty, we sleep because we're tired. And those things, I think it's safe to say that it's accurate why we, what, why we state why we did them. But I think when it comes to anything a little bit more complicated, such as, well, why do you b believe this religion? Why did you vote for this candidate? Why did you marry this person? You know, or, or those kind of complicated things. I think what's difficult about those is because there are so many causes that go into that. We cannot identify all of them and say, well, there are, uh, you know, 33 reasons why I voted for this person, um, but we can't remember all of the reasons, so we just give one reason. And that one reason may be accurate, but we may not remember all the other reasons. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I hope that we're that we've clarified some things for people about, you know, the, the choice being a causal process that we all make choices in the sense of doing what we, we want to do the most of the time, but we cannot freely will our will. We can't, you know, want something different because in order to want something different, you would have to already want it. <laughs> yeah, and like, like Schopenhauer said, like we can't, we can want what we want, we can't want to want what we want, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so what it comes down to is that it always comes down to that infinite regress because in or yeah, in order to you can do something that you want to do, but in order to choose what you chose, you know, you would it at least this problem because well, I think it's it's fairly clear. It just it just goes back because any reason you give, well, what's the reason for that reason or the cause for that cause? Right. And it's like, you know, the idea with, with infinite regress, it certainly is, is the, the most, you know, factual explanation. But we can also point out that, like, you know, basically we we're describing causality, that if there's a reason for why we do whatever we do, that reason is also a cause. So that that re and and that reason is going to have a cause of its own and a cause to that cause. So the idea is like you know, when we've got this chain of cause and effect behind anything we do, and we can describe them. You know, I mean, so, sometimes it's not accurate to re describe the causes as reasons. Other times, you know, they seem to be you know, but but all we have to do is follow the chain of cause and effect back to before we were born, and that 
negates free will. We, we, we don't really have to go back any further to before the planet was created at all. You know, once we don't exist and things, this causal chain that, you know, started before we exist is making us do what we do today or, you know, in the present, then we've, we've, um, we've effectively just basically negated free will. Yeah. And I mean, it's very clear to see this, that nobody really ha had a choice in things that happened prior to their existence and that those things cause them to do what they do during their lifetime. But uh, perhaps we should end on a positive note um, because it seems very negative when we tell people that they don't really have a, a free choice in the matter. Um, but really, I don't think we need that. You know, it's sort of sort of like, you know, when I'm when I'm playing Minecraft, for example, I'm, you know, planting trees and building houses out of stone or wood or whatever. And it doesn't matter to me that I'm not the, the game designer and that I did not r write the laws of the universe and three dimensional geometry that goes into certain shapes seeming cool to me. It doesn't matter as long as you are doing that, which you want to do the most at the time and you're not in pain. You can gen generally be happy, and so free choice is not only incoherent, but it's not even required for our happiness. I think one of the ways that I like to look at it is if you imagine like a long line of dominoes, and each each domino is a is like a behavior or an action, and it just knocks the next one on, and it knocks the next one on, and our latest behavior is basically just another domino in the long line of dominoes. Exactly, David. That's that's the that's that's the the classic way to explain causality, and we 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 real, really should refer to it more often because it's you know when people see a, a row of domino dominoes lined up, you know it's pretty clear. I mean, no one would say that la next to last domino toppled the last one without it having been compelled by the previous one. So the domino right. example is a very powerful tool. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, it's a bit like someone sitting in traffic and you're blaming the car directly in front of you, even though there's, uh, there could be like a pileup, a hundred cars down the line, and you're just focusing on the car in front, blaming him yeah. for, not, for not moving forward. <laughs> That's a great example, David. It's just so funny how people do that. It's sort of like... You, you can be annoyed at, at whatever displeasure the immediate cause that you see, you know, the, the proximate cause, the most visible cause that you're upset with. But you understand that no matter what it is, that that was not the first cause of it. So, right. Yeah. I, I would argue that most people would look at that and they would understand that the car in front isn't responsible for what's going on right at the end of the road yet they can't seem to understand this idea of of causality and the fact that we don't have free will yeah i i it's i guess what people need is they need um visual examples like the domino thing and the car example both of those are examples that people can see in their heads or there could even be videos made to specifically explain it because when we just talk and use words about causality or a causality, it goes over people's heads, I suppose. Absolutely, that's you know, and that's that, that's where people like a lot of philosophers 
will come up with, well, there's a conventional causality that applies to domino, but then there's a special causality that allows us a free will. I mean, how they explain that, you know, is beyond me, but. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange how, how people do that. And I really think, here's an example, like if somebody were to really like um, make videos, make a documentary explaining this, what they would have to do is even though the concept is a logical concept that we cannot control prior causes nor randomness and so whatever causes us to choose what we do we couldn't have d done otherwise um, I think what people need to see is they need to see how the whole thing plays out they need to see examples that struggles that people have like what if um, like certain people who are poor and then when you see their whole life and everything that's been against them, you see that no, no matter how hard they may have tried, they could not make enough money. Or, or even difficult examples like, like abortion or, or war or different things like that, the different so-called choices that humans make, if um, somebody was given, shown the full causality behind at least from the beginning of their life that led to it, well, then they would understand, well, of course they did this at that time. That's what made sense, given all the prior causes. I hear you. And without choice, we don't have blame. Yeah, we got to do more shows on that, on like, you know, why we're doing this, what, what the benefits are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just never ends, and that's why it's so much fun talking with you guys. So... Okay, we've been going for about 34 minutes. Um, did we cover everything? Um, I feel yeah, like I'd, we did. I'd better get out, yeah. I gotta, but this has been good, guys, absolutely. All right, so I'll end this one. You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, David Joseph, and George Ortega, and we've been talking about the one sense of choice of which humans make choices but explaining how those choices are not something that they chose. You know, it all stems from either prior causes before they were born or is completely random if you believe in a causality and therefore they couldn't have done anything about it. So hope that you understand the choice versus free choice distinction that we've been trying to make in this episode. Thank you for listening and goodbye.